You must tell me all your secrets. Remember, we must share everything together. been together just over three and a half years four years really yeah <laughs> what do you think it's like another world tomorrow's a big day is it scary what is it it has special properties <sighs> what am i going through we just need to acclimate i don't want to acclimate i want to go Absolutely not. What's happening? I don't know why you invited us. That's why you look so guilty right now, because you know. We only do this every 90 years. I was most excited for you to come. again, ghouls. I'm Annie Rose Malamet, and you're listening to a bonus episode of Girls, Guts, and Giallo. This episode is only available to my patrons at patreon.com slash girlsgutsgiallo. And if you join the $10 and up tier, you get a bonus episode once a month, maybe even twice if I'm feeling ambitious, but no promises. And for this uh, month's bonus episode, we are going to talk about Ari Oster's Midsommar. Is it Midsummer or Midsommar? I like Midsommar more. Yeah, I mean, whatever. I'm calling it Midsommar. And I am here with Mercedes Lake, who you will remember from our Pet Cemetery episode, uh, which we literally just recorded. We're not going to be hearing it right <laughs> now. We're hot off the mic. Yeah, hot off, hot off talking about Pet Cemetery. And uh, I wanted to talk with Mercedes about Midsommar because she saw it in theaters three times. Three times. And I got, the, you know, I, you get something different out of it each time. Amazing. So, Mercedes, just to refresh the listeners, who are you? What are you about? Hey there, I'm Mercedes Lake. I am a salty New England bitch. Uh, I am living up in Portland, Maine, the scenic port town of Maine. Um, I write plays, I write screenplays, I do comedy sometimes. Uh, Annie and I have lived with each other for four years all through college. That we did. We met before college and chose to be each other's roommates, and it just worked out. Yeah, we recognized each other's kindred spirits. Yes. I mean, I grew up in a house of Leos, so, <laughs> you know, I just felt comfortable with a, another Leo. Yeah, so Annie and I have been watching and talking about horror movies for, like, what, like 10 years now? So. A really long fucking time, and, yeah, we've seen each other through a lot, a lot of <laughs> disgusting boyfriends. <laughs> Just like a parade of unremarkable men. (laughs) (laughs) So this is a, I think this is a really apt movie to be talking about. Um, Mercedes, I think we'll just start off. Why did you see this movie three times? It's two and a half hours long. Um... Well, two, two big reasons. And this is, there's one that's little like, so I grew up in Vermont. 
And just the scenery of this movie, like the way that they portray Sweden actually looks and feels a lot like Vermont. Um, maybe just as creepy. Uh, and the other thing is, so uh, I am six weeks off of a broken engagement, um, which if you guys uh, don't know, is emotionally taxing. <laughs> Quitely, quite <laughs> emotionally taxing. Um, but yeah, so the night that me and my uh, ex broke up, we were actually supposed to go see this movie together. Um, or it was weird. We didn't actually break up. He rented a car and ran away from me. And he was like, I'll call you later. But we were supposed to go see this movie together. And uh, our plans changed a bit on that. And then, uh, you know, he we, and I, he we didn't talk for a week. And um, I kind of, I knew it was over. And I was like, well, I still want to go see Midsummer." So I went to the movie by myself um, and it was like 90 degrees in Maine. It was like hella humid. And it's just like, if nothing else, I'll sit in a dark, cold room for two and a half hours. And I, and I watched it. And after watching it, I walked out and like the sky was gray and there was no noise on like any of the streets except for seagulls. Like the seagulls were flying really low that day. And I looked up at the sky and I knew that my relationship was going to end that day. And it did. And this movie, you guys have had time to see it, so I'm going to assume if you're listening to this episode that you're okay with spoilers. But this movie is about a young woman whose very mentally ill sister commits suicide and also kills their parents. And she's in a relationship with a shit man. Yeah. Uh, and they're in a terrible, toxic, codependent relationship. And he has this group of friends he's supposed to go to Sweden with to study their midsummer rituals at this like isolated Swedish village. And she goes with him and basically a series of horrific events happens. Uh, everybody that they go with is killed by this Swedish cult. <laughs> a lot of mushrooms are done. A lot of mushrooms are done. Yeah. And uh, at the end she chooses to sacrifice her boyfriend and presumably goes on to live with this cult. You know, and good on her. Uh, but, you know, and it's, like, I'm so in love with this movie for a facet of reasons, but uh, the biggest, like, one of the biggest ones was I, when I first saw this movie, I was so angry that I didn't write it because I've been saying forever that, you know, mushrooms are such a scare, like, are are not necessarily a scary drug, but a drug that can get pretty scary if you take the, if you go in the wrong room. Um, or look at yourself in the mirror. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's always the wrong room. Um, you know, and it's, I haven't seen it a lot in horror except for that movie Shrooms. Uh, <laughs> classic. If you haven't seen the classic Shrooms, which doesn't, you know, doesn't match up with actually what it feels like to be on Mushrooms at all. And I thought that Midsommar really kind of hit the nail on the head of like what it's like to go through a mushroom trip. So much so that I upon the third viewing kind of started seeing the timeline like a mushroom trip mm. um, and how it kind of, how she kind of has these revelations about herself, like at the pace that I have when I've been on mushrooms, uh, there's like a revelation that she has to leave the room and kind of go find another one. Mm. So this movie is one of the big themes in this movie is toxic codependent relationships and as someone who has been there goes to codependence anonymous <laughs> uh knows that life i mean this really hit home for me in a lot of ways and something we were talking about in our relationships that i saw in this movie 
And are you okay getting personal? Oh, I love it. Yeah, let's do okay. it. Something we were talking about the other night when we were drunk at the Portland Goth night <laughs> uh, was that both of our exes were really did not care about us or our interests yeah. or anything that we did outside of them, but would make a big show of being really supportive in like crisis moments. Oh yeah. And and it's great too, because in those uh, scenarios, you know, they don't forget that they were there for those moments. Right. Um, to the point where it, it can almost be used as an argument of like, sorry that I, you know, sorry if I don't ask you about your art, but you know, what about that time I was there for that, your art thing? Like, you know, it's like, I feel like a big thing about like these kind of toxic relationships is like you you don't measure your relationship by the day to day or finding comfort in that. You measure it by these like highs and lows. Mm. And those two things are like playing off of each other a lot. Yeah. And he does that in the movie where he doesn't really like her, doesn't really care about her as a person, but feels guilty when her sister does this horrific act and you know, at that point, it feels like it's too late to stay with her. But he's a coward because yeah. if he were a real one, he would just end it. Well, yeah, it also shows like how sort of dangerous it is to be with someone who couldn't be there for you in a time like that. And how probably in his like very privileged, like unexamined life, he's never had to consider that, like had to consider what it would be like if he had to actually help her through a crisis situation because he doesn't empathize with her. Yeah, and there's this really good article about this movie on birth movies, death, birth, death movies. God, I'm so terrible. I'll link it, you guys. And the author of that article says that uh, his friend group, like each of them is an archetype of a specific shitty man. So her boyfriend is like that shitty, neglectful, kind of bland fuck boy. Mm-hmm. And uh, then there's the like sarcastic friend who's just an outright misogynist there is the friend who is so logical that it's maddening and can like explain or justify anything in this really toxic way and then there's Pele who is like the quote-unquote good guy the nice guy but is actually doing everything for his own selfish purposes not to like sound like the like the thirstiest bitch like uh on this and the (laughs) non-patreon episode but Pele can get it. <laughs> and that was like another thing I took away from the third viewing was like more and more. I was like, you know what? Pele, like take me to Sweden. Um, guys, I'm sorry. I'm out of a, I'm very newly out of a relationship. <laughs> I found out that Tinder existed like a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. So maybe, maybe that was part of it, but uh, yeah, Pele can get it, but he's a shit bag, but well, they all are. And they just are in these specific different ways. Um, but she is also kind of crazy. Yeah, well, and, and we've been talking about this a lot this week, and she's, like, the kind of crazy where she's been able to kind of, like, like float through, like, life. Like, also, like, you know, in terms of, like, like mental illness, right? It's, like, I feel like uh, because her sister is, like, the bipolar one, a lot of, like the resources in her family were probably like more diverted to that. So it's, she's just like very quietly unsure of herself and like mental health. Yeah. I mean, the character of Danny played by Florence, uh, is it Pug or Pew? Pew. Okay. 
played play by Florence Pugh. Uh, she's she does Florence Pugh does this really brilliant thing with that character where you empathize with her, but you see how deeply codependent she is because she must have and codependency if people don't know what it is uh i think a lot of people have experienced it but just to sort of break it down it is a a a, a relationship style a uh symptom of mental illness if you will that you develop typically and i don't want to speak for everybody but typically people develop it after growing up around addict parents or caretakers or with an ad, uh, or an addict or care uh, uh, addict in the home. So it could also be a sibling uh, or with people who are extremely mentally ill. And you develop this codependency as a coping mechanism to get through living with very narcissistic individuals. And you uh, have to develop this, or many people have to develop this codependent tendency because you're basically not allowed to, if you grow up with an addict or a narcissist or anybody who's really, really mentally ill, you're basically not allowed to have feel, your own feelings. So a lot of people who are codependent um, have a really hard time actually even uh pointing out or, or recognizing their own feelings. Like that is something I struggle with a lot in situations where I'm like, I don't even know how I feel about this. Well, yeah. And I mean, it's also why it's so easy to seek new relationships or romantic relationships because then you never have to examine anything through your own eyes. You can kind of see yourself through the eyes of your partner, um, which, you know, it's, it's complicated, right? Because like when you're falling in love with someone, it is like intoxicating because you're seeing like this like really kind of new and interesting and like a live version of yourself. And then like, as a relationship becomes more toxic, like it has kind of like this double hitting, like feeling of like, not only am I having a hard time with my thoughts and feelings, like this person who, whose vision of myself I really rely on also feels that way about me. 